All right, what was the pitch in the last inning? You know, bro, home run pitch. <laughs> you know, bro, this is the home run pitch bot, Tyler Danberg, alongside Nate Rosenhaus. And What's up? We are two big baseball fans. We've been baseball fans. We've been lifelong friends right since birth. And Since we were born, so yes. we popped out of the womb. <laughs> we and we've been telling really crappy jokes since, so you're oh, probably yeah. going to pick up on that. But many years playing baseball, imaginary baseball. Yes, um, you know, imaginary baseball. It's everyone's favorite game, right, Tyler? That's true. And you know what? For those listening at home, Nathan has compiled a 920 OPS back in imaginary <laughs> baseball. Maybe one of the better single seasons in all of. IBL history. Oh, yeah. Not going to lie. I think I might be the greatest of all time when it comes to imaginary baseball Um, because you can make up your own rules. And if you say you're not out, you're not out. And I think there were times where Tyler was too scared to make that decision. And you know what? If I had a a bad hit, I didn't have a bad hit. It never happened. It just just didn't happen. I always hit the day. It was always home runs 24-7. I was the slugger. Yes, you were the slugger. You you said one time in a baseball camp – to somebody roast of the century and you said don't call me strikeout guy call me slugger and that's what you were um a little tiny old me was getting into it this kid sitting playing wiffle ball and i had to talk from sense to him you know he was in my presence i he had to know who he was talking to well people have to remember the fact that you were in what three times you had three pete when you entered the uh bay home run derby a couple times like back to back to back it's got to be like Oh, yeah. Yep. So, you know what, Nate? Let's get into it. This is going to be a fun journey that we're going to embark on because this game is growing. Baseball, yes. it's it's kind of the out with the old. We'll remember the old, but it's kind of in with the new. And yep. we were talking about this before the show, before we started clicking record, and you brought up a great point where it's like we're starting to see this game grow and the faces that we see currently dominating the game, they're starting to transcend and start to retire and kind of wear out a little bit, it seems like. Yeah, um, your big name players from the 2000s and 2010s are starting to fizzle out. You know, Posey's no longer your MVP catcher. He's been relegated to a lot of first base. Um, You see guys like Maurer having to retire. Uh, those are your big dudes in the early 2010s, late 2000s. And you're starting to see a shift to your, your Juan Soto, your Fernando Tatis. These are your new faces of baseball. And these are who the younger kids are going to grow up watching. Do you think too, Nate, the fact that maybe more off days than one can play a factor, or like you said, switching guys, having them rotate in different positions, kind of play a little bit of a factor in that. Yeah, I think that'll help. Um, it shows more versatility in guys. Um, they can do more than one thing. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that coming up. Um, less just guys, oh, I'm a shortstop and that's how I'm going to play. Or I'm only a second baseman. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how managers use their guys now as we're seeing they're more willing to play and mess with lineups and not have the same lineup every single day for 162 games a year. And you look at like all the other young managers out there, pretty much every guy outside of some of the more traditionalist managers, they love to go with changing lineups and experimenting with positions because 
honestly, you've got 162 games. If you can find a lineup, no matter where or what you can do to win, I mean, you might as well just pull the trigger. I think the first time we really noticed that was kind of, would you probably say at Wrigley in the 16 World Series when Carlos Santana was playing left field, where you started to see some of these guys go to different positions? I'd say this would, would be a development that has happened like last five, six, seven years. Yeah. I think Terry Francona was one of the first guys to say, Hey, you know, I'm not going to use my closer as just a closer. And I'm not going to use my first baseman. It's just a first baseman. If that means it's going to hurt us today. Uh, And I think you saw that he used Andrew Miller in the fifth and sixth innings. He used Cody Allen as his closer. Uh, Brian Shaw had a lot of innings in the postseason. Um, and then you saw guys like Santana out there in the outfield because that was what we needed to do that day to win the ball game. And if you want to like spin zone that as well, this might not be a new development because we've seen this happen for decades now. Because like if you want to go back, look at I think the biggest example, and I think the first time we really saw this shaken up was probably 1960. It was game seven of that World Series. And Casey Stengel played Yogi Berra out in left field. I mean, this short, 5'4", 5'5", 200-plus pound little guy out there playing left field. I think that was like the first thing, you know, you look back on it and we're 17 years old. So, you know, you're coming up on your birthday as well. So you got to look at the fact like we're young, but we've picked up on kind of those occurrences. But still, it seems like, you know, past couple of seasons have shown us that Anything can kind of go, and it's like those lineup changes are what makes the game fun. Oh, yeah. Um, you can't go to the ballpark on a Tuesday knowing you're going to see this guy lead off at shortstop, this guy hitting second from center field and down on the order, and then go to the game that Saturday and know you're going to see the same lineup. You never know what you're going to get, but you know that whatever lineup is out there is the best possible lineup that they can put that day to get a W on the board. Um, and I think. We've seen that a lot with the rise in analytics. You could take this into starting to deep dive in the shift, whether it's good for the game or bad for the game. I don't think there's a surefire answer for that. I think it depends on how it's used and who's using it. But that's also a part of this whole thing of managers being more willing to be flexible and change things up on a day-to-day basis. Are you a pro shift or anti-shift kind of guy? I'm both. I think it has its place in the game. but I think sometimes enough is enough. I'd like to see some sort of limit where you can only have a certain amount of guys on one side of the infield. Like I think, I don't know if I remember in the Rays a couple of years ago, they had all five guys on the left side of the infield and it was just like, come on, man. Yeah. It, it gets to the point where it, it's, it can get a little too excessive, but like, I get if you pinch in the middle infielders. Towards oh the yeah. Back, go for it. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, if you've, you've got, got a guy it, who's always hitting the ball up the middle and you want to plug your shortstop behind the bag because that's going to get you the out, by all means, go for it. Like, I'd probably say, you know, one of the bigger examples, Didi Gregorius. Like, look at him. I think that was one of the one of the funniest things I saw during the 60-game season was that graph of, like, every single Didi home run of his career. And they were literally all pulled except one. And, uh, yep. and, and and that was at Yankee Stadium. So, you know, are we even counting that a home run? I think no. if I remember correctly, it's that one had to be under 400 feet because there's no way Didi's only opposite field home run goes up Otaka once 
it's barely clearing that wall. So like, I yeah. think that if you've got a guy in that situation, then I, you know, you, you got to pinch a, a couple guys, at least, you know, to oh, the yeah. right there. it's, it's like common. You want to add that third guy to the left side, go for it. Um, I don't see any reason why, why you shouldn't be allowed to. I just think at a certain point when you've got four or five guys on one side of the infield, because this guy doesn't pull it. Yeah, you could say, well, oh, you should start pulling the ball or you should start pushing the ball. But right. at the same time, we're trying to grow the game right now, and sometimes more balls in play is going to help that. And I think that, that that this could be a next step in trying to get some more guys on base or that the defenders have a little more range to make those crazy diving, sliding plays that you would see on Center, And that could also help bring it to a broader audience. And also, Nate, I think going into something else that we're going to be talking about, I think another thing that's going to help the game of baseball grow even more is the fact that we're seeing teams start to really compete. And it's not just the same old, same old teams. And I think let's talk about some of these acquisitions that have happened, transpired probably last, you know, three days minimum. So I would like you to explain kind of how we're going to approach these acquisitions to talk about some of the guys and break them down in a different perspective. Yeah. So um, one of the things we're starting to see a lot more of is people who say, I want to get into baseball, but I don't know who this guy is or how good is he? Why is this guy getting 150? Why is he getting $300 million? So what we're going to do is we're going to break down the acquisitions as they happen, trades, free agency, anything. And we're going to give you an NBA player comparison as best we can to this MLB guy. For So if you're an NBA guy and you don't know who this is in the MLB, we can say this guy, pretty similar to this guy in the NBA. That's why he got this money. That's why he was traded. And that's why this team wanted him. So first up, George Springer, 2017 World Series MVP to the Toronto Blue Jays going north of the border. Um, six years, 150 million. We saw the Mets, it was rumored they offered six years, 120 to 125 million. And Toronto said, you know what? We want him as our center fielder for the next six years. We'll give you that extra 25 million. Tyler, who is your NBA comparison for George Springer? So we're talking about this, and I think you brought up a good point. This is like probably. Timberwolves to 76ers or maybe second to last last year on the Bulls Jimmy Butler little younger so we go back to kind of a couple years ago I wouldn't say you know peak Minnesota where Butler was unhappy all the time but there were spurts when he was playing just tremendous basketball and I think he's kind of like Springer because if you look at Jimmy Butler on the Bulls the Bulls you know they they had Derrick Rose they had some hope and they were a low-tier, low-seed playoff team. And if you think about Springer, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind, obviously he was a beast at UConn, but you look at when he was on the Sports Illustrated cover, you remember that, the uh, 2017, when they predicted it, like yep. two, three years out of just, you know, out of the blue. I mean, they, they made it in January too, Nate, which was just crazy. But then you look at Springer, and they're both kind of on those first couple playoff runs. Like, I think Butler was kind of what Springer was. So huge in 2015, 
in leading the Astros to, you know, playoff berths and heights that we had not seen Houston reach in a, like probably since 05. To oh, say. yeah. So I think that those two kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, he's not kind of guy who's going to be yearly in the MVP race, but he's a guy who's no slouch, an all-star, perennial all-star, um, and he's going to make his teammates better. He loves to work. And he's got a lot of young guys around him now in Toronto that could be good for years to come. And I think you're starting to see maybe we have a challenger for the New York Yankees in the AL East. I think so. And you know what, Nathan? I think that Springer probably had the most upside. And granted, he's 31. And that's another thing to take into consideration. But he probably had the most upside out of any of the Houston weapons because you're not really going to trade Correa and Altuve is kind of hands off and you don't really know what you want to do with him because obviously amidst all the controversy and a tough season that he had. So you want to keep him hands off. I think Springer will probably be a good fit for the Blue Jays. And I think that their, their power just got a little bit better. We know that they've got pop. And I think Springer adds a little bit more consistency, but um, I, I think the big thing though is that the the Blue Jays and hats off the Mark Shapiro here is great deal, uh, one fifty, a little bit of a stretch, but over six years uh, you could get that done. I think that though a lot of this was inspired by the Mets. I think that Uncle Stevie going in high bidding. We knew Nathan because we're we're both big Twitter guys. We know this is what Mets fans want. Like the Lindor deal, cool. That was awesome for them. But Springer was the guy they wanted. Hands down, you knew that they had been talking about it for years. And I want to get your thoughts on it. But I think that this was just simply personal between the Blue Jays and the Mets. Yeah, Blue Jays were big players and Lindor heavily rumored. They were going after him. Mets came in last minute and said, you know what, Blue Jays? Screw you. We want him. They got him. (laughs) Um, Steve Cohen and all his money. Um, Yeah. And then I think this is the Blue Jays saying, you know, We've been interested in a lot of guys. We were interested in Lindor. We were interested in Yates. We were interested in um, Hendricks. We're going to go out and we're going to get our guy who's going to help our young guys to develop into the superstars we think they can be. So that's another thing. I'm glad you brought out the Kirby Yates deal because I think that that signing with him was huge. We know that the Jays always need a reliever. They have not been able. I I think that they have not had really a consistent reliever since, believe it or not, Aaron Laffey. That that's got to be my <laughs> Cleveland Indians legend, Aaron Laffey Taffy. Yep. Um, your NBA comparison that I just thought of. I think you're looking at 2017-18 Dwayne Wade when he signed with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, Middle on the older end of the scale here. Um, both of them coming off some good seasons, low risk, high reward. Um, Yates coming off a couple all-star seasons. He easily could come out and be that shut the door guy that the Blue Jays have been looking for all these years since they got rid of Osuna. Um, or he could end up being a middle of the road guy due to his age and injury problems you've seen the past couple of years. But it's a great deal, low risk, high reward, good veteran guy for your bullpen. I think he's going to be a huge acquisition for them. You're right. I totally forgot about Roberto Ozuna. I mean, that that was probably – he had a couple of dominant seasons. But, 
Yeah, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. Like, I think it'll probably be a much better deal and result than D Wade and Cleveland. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. you know, it, it breaks our Cavs fans hearts, but mm-hmm. you know what? I, I think though Yates is, he, he's been so consistent and I think that you just give him 162 games again. And I think you're just kind of flirting with disaster that we're going to going to see. I, I really like, Kirby Yates and I've liked him since he was going hand in hand no pun intended there with Brad Hand and <laughs> yep be, be, you remember that race I mean the two teammates cool story but oh I, yeah I think that's kind of like you know the, the the it was a friendly deal kind of I'd say you know for for a guy of Yates's caliber so I think that it's not really that much of a risk but you're going to get a ton of reward yes um Next on the docket, just following George Springer's deal, you started hearing rumblings. Will Brantley follow him? We know those guys are two buddies from Houston. Um, And you saw reports, Brantley following George Springer to Toronto Blue Jays on a three-year deal. And then all of a sudden, a half hour later, oh, no, never mind. I'm sorry, Blue Jays fans. Sorry, I can't talk right now. He's going back to Houston on a two-year, $32 million contract, but evenly right down the middle, 16 mil a year. Tyler, who is your NBA comparison for Michael Brantley? Oh, my comparison for Brantley, Drew Holiday. Because Drew is simply a guy, he's been around a couple of teams, not too many, but he's been around, he's been around the wagon. He's had some injury problems in the past, just like Michael Brantley. But these guys are underrated, consistent performers. A couple guys with some all-star appearances. They've been in some MVP races. Holiday had a great season just a year ago and two years ago was a monster. So you look at that and you look at Brantley. had some really great campaigns in Cleveland. And he's been just Mr. Consistent in Houston. And that oh, yeah. kind of goes, you know, you, you take it for granted because you've got Springer and you've got Reddick. And then you look at, you know, the emergence of uh, pretty much everybody they have out there that can just perform and perform and perform. And then there's Brantley just sitting out in that short porch and left. And he's got the tendency to make some really great plays out there. And then we know that he can hit the ball, especially when it's a two out or two strike situation. So I think these guys go really stride for stride when you look at it. Oh yeah. Um, He's, he's Dr. Smooth for a reason. Oh yeah. All right. We have one more deal to look at. This is a trade, not a free agent signing Padres. They've made splash after splash after splash on the trade market this offseason, and they're not done yet. They went out and got Joe Musgrove from the Pittsburgh Pirates to be their number four starter. Tyler, break down this trade for me and tell me your NBA comparison for Joe Musgrove. So just to describe what the Padres are getting, so they get Joe Musgrove. And that's, I I mean, that, that's a pretty potent part and granted the Padres, they can afford to make a deal like this. First off, they've got an absurd team already. They've been in there for the long haul. And I think Musgrove, he's a guy that's, 
he's going to eat up innings. He's yep. a guy that I think that the Padres, they knew they were going after because who knows what's going to happen now with Denelson Lamette. I, I honestly have no clue because the Padres, you look at how good they're going to be in two years when they get Clevenger back and, you know, what's going to happen with Lamette? When is he coming back? So I think Musgrove really gets you the opportunity. And, and granted, he had a tough season. He only started eight games last year and kind of stunk up the place, but had a relatively good ERA. First time it was under four in his career. The guys, though, that the Pirates got in return, they got a couple key pieces out of a really good. I, would you say, Nathan, that the Padres have the deepest farm system? Oh, yeah. And, like, at the same time, they've been able to keep it deep and keep it consistently in the top five in baseball while going out and getting a Udaris, while going out and getting your Blake Snells and your Joe Musgrove to really take that rotation from – Nah, that's good. You got Chris Paddock. You got Denelson Lamette. But now you have a three-headed monster out there. Plus Joe Musgrove is your four. And they've been able to keep that rotation strong and keep the farm system up top. And I, I think the only big, huge prospect they're giving up is Hudson Head. And Grant, this dude is a stud. He's 19 years old. He's the, I think the eighth best prospect in the Padres system. And that, I mean, that says something. If you're in the top 10 in that deep system, and then they got, they get a catcher, uh, a young guy, a switch hitter, and Andy Rodriguez. He was in the Mets organization. So a couple of exchanges between, I mean, this is a huge, this is like a multiple team, I think, what, four or five team deal. So the Padres, they get uh, Drake Fellows, Omar Cruz. And David Bednar, uh, pir- Pirates get him. So I, I think that's huge. And then Mets end up with uh, a Vandy boy in Drake Fellows. Mets got Joey Lucchesi, Tyler. Drake Fellows is going to the Pirates. Oh, is he? Yes, you have Drake Fellows to the Pirates and Joey Lucchesi going to the Mets, swooping in last minute, getting another really good young arm, Joey Lucchesi. He was a huge prospect for them a couple of years ago. Um, hasn't really been as great as you thought as you thought he could be in the majors so far, but I think you get him working with that three-headed monster out in New York, a guy like Carrasco, a guy like DeGrom, he could have a big year for them. I like Lucchesi, and I will never give up on him because I think he's got the ability to be so flexible as an arm because the Padres, they, they worked him in. He'd have a couple spot starts or he'd be back. Cause there, there were times when he was on the taxi squad for, for um, you know, for the dads. And I think that they also utilized him in the pen long relief. So I think that Lucchesi can really go anywhere. You mentioned the Mets already have that three-headed monster to build off of. So who knows what can happen? Will that be the fourth or fifth guy if you are Lucchesi? Or does he stay in the pen? Or what do you do with a guy like Steven Matt? So it just goes back and forth. And, and that's a testament to how strong Lucchesi is. And I think that you know no team is ready to give up on him yet. So keep bouncing him around and get a feel for what he's able to do. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think he's a guy that could easily slot as that long reliever emergency starter, but also eat up some big innings in the bullpen um, or slide in as your five starter really easily out in New York. Um, so 
what do you got of the Padres? What are your thoughts on that? And coming into this season, you know, they have a ton of new players. Their longest tenured player, Denelson Lamette. Um, he was acquired in 2017, I believe. So they've got a lot of new guys coming in there. You've got arguably the face of baseball in the next couple of years. Fernando Tatis Jr. coming off of a huge year this year, the first half at least. Um, he plays a lot of energy. Um, not afraid to flip the bat. Get on your sports center, ESPN. Um, but you've also got a lot of young guys, a lot of new faces in that organization. How do you think they're going to be able to gel together? And can they survive a whole 162 as they did in the short 60-game sprint we had in 2020? I think they can. I, I, I think that they've got enough. If, if they need some bench help, if they need utilities, then they're going to go to their system. Because I, I think you look at their starting nine, and they've got, obviously, the pitching. They've got guys like Cronenworth coming off a monster year. And I, you know who I, I'm big on? I'm big on Trent Grisham. And, you know, you know what they say. He's made he made that error in the uh, it was in, one in, error in the, it was one error and I think that he made up for it last year what he he tacked on a, a lot of great uh, had a couple of big plays one of the grand slams and then you got Tatis you got Machado you got Hosmer who I think can really step it up and then I love Tommy Pham love watching the guy play you look down you got guys like Will Myers and you know who I actually like. And, and I know that the Cubs, it's tough to do when you're back and forth and you've got Wilson Contreras fighting spot by spot, and then he goes down, and then you have to assume the position. But I like Victor Caratini. Nate, I love catchers that can switch it, and I think that Caratini can be a big spark, whether it's him or Austin Nola behind the plate. I, I like Caratini. I think he can provide some good depth. Because he can play almost anywhere on the infield, too. Yeah, and I think having to be able the personal catcher for you, Darvish, in a season that he was right there with Trevor Bauer for the Cy Young race. Darvish is not an easy pitcher to catch. And I think if Darvish trusted him as much as he did to say, you know what, I'm getting traded, but let's see if we can get you along with me because I love pitching to you. I think that says a lot about him as a catcher defensively, especially. And I think too, Nate, that I think the Padres were trying to get Contreras, uh, you know, low key. I think they were doing that for that reason. And then, and then they were thinking, Oh, okay. Caratini's out there. We can sell for the backup. He's a guy, he's gotten a couple opportunities. Let's give him, you know, a, a high end backup type of role. Yeah. He'll get the job done perfectly for the role that he needs to out there in San Diego. Exactly. I love the Padres. I think the NL West is going to be, I mean, it's going to be enticing as all get out, but I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, not, not even just the Padres and the Dodgers, but looking at t- like the, the D-backs can always, they're always a wild card team. They're always oh, like, yeah. if you look at the past four or five years, I think that the D-backs are the team that has finished with the most 80, 80 wins, like 80-ish win seasons, 80 to 89 win seasons yep. in the National League. It's and like they're always a lot of that. that is a testament to Troy Lovello and his managing out there in 
Arizona, you saw when he came in, and I believe 2017 or 16 was his first year out there. He transformed the culture out there, and right away, boom, playoff team. They hung with the Dodgers quite a bit in 2017, and say what you want about the 2020 Dodgers, I think that 2017 Dodgers was just one of the best baseball teams I've ever been able to watch. Um, and they've been right there every year. They just haven't been able, been able to get over that hump. And they've got a couple big young guys I'm really looking forward to seeing this year. Really looking forward to see how Madison Bumgarner bounces back. Um, yeah. I, I think I think Mad Bums probably Nathan and we'll I mean we're going we're going to be previewing we'll go division by division once the season gets a little bit closer and we'll get some spring training games in but I think Mad Bums definitely one of those guys you can definitely tell when you see that sixty game season and thinking you know what he's just a one sixty two guy he's a guy that's gonna start. 20, 25 times. I mean, you've seen that in the postseason. You've seen that in the regular season. The guy likes to take the bump, and I think you give him a big constrained window, and you're just not going to see the same results. So I'm looking for a big bounce back, like you said, for Madison Bumgarner. Now, going back to kind of the Brantley thing, it's been a big year of misreporting and misinformations and using terrible sources like I think uh, Springer to the Mets was announced by some random dude who said source. It's like uh, Sir Yacht and the whole Big Ten football <laughs> thing. Who's you know all all respect to Sir Yacht. He says he brings he brought a uh, Big Ten football back. He is so wrong, but you know what? Good for him. So if we had to have a quick little final four right now, Jeff Passan. Go Tim Kirchin or Buster only. We can have like a little hybrid there. Two headed ESPN okay. monster, Ken Rosenthal, and obviously for old time's sake, good old Bob Nightingale, USA Today. I'd say let's put Passon, he'll go up against Nightingale, and then Rosenthal against Kirchin slash only. Who's advancing to the championship? Oh, um, I'm a big Passon fan. I think he's great. I like that he's able to report things accurately and quickly, but at the same time, he does it in a fun way. He he's active on Twitter with, you know, some of your barstool guys, but he's also making fun of all of like the arbitration stuff. Like I think you saw, he, he tweeted, I don't know if you saw this, Jeff Passan and Sandwich settled for six ninety five. <laughs> he has fun with it, and I think we need to see more coming out of that. Um, so I think he's gonna move on. Who do you have for the other side of the bracket, Tyler? Oh, I got – oh, th this one's tough. I mean, we, this one's tough. I'm probably going to have to ride with uh, – probably going to have to ride with Ken Rosenthal. I, I think he gets the job done. Plus, you know what I respect? I respect, I respect the bow tie, what he's doing for – you know, he and he does it for all the charities he supports um, – he supports all the different, uh, you know, the disabilities and different, you know, cancer research foundations. Yep. So I think that what he does there is just awesome. And then also, I admire writing for The Athletic because yes. the, uh, the amount of stories you have to write for The Athletic and how long you have to write them is just absurd. Like, I don't know how he finds time in a day. Like, it's ridiculous how long but how, like, entertaining those stories can be. Yes. All right. So we are going to keep you guys on the edge of your seats. The final round Woo! of that bracket will be uh, revealed 
next week. Oh, we're not gonna we're gonna we're not gonna be the tank right away. We gotta let you guys. So we gotta we gotta let it marinate, as you might say. You pulled it straight out of the Food Network book. <laughs> Call me Bobby Flay. <laughs> All right, piggybacking on the Padres talk, you know, you got Fernando Tatis, big face of baseball, young guy. We're starting to see a shift now. Um, I, I'm not sure who tweeted it, but I saw this a couple days ago, and it really started to make, make me think. With guys like Acuna, Tatis, Soto, you got prospects like Julio Rodriguez, Wander Franco. These are some huge names that are going to be your face of baseball in 2020s and beyond. You're starting to see a shift with a lot less U.S.-born players. And I think this could be huge for growing the game globally. Oh, big time. I mean, you see in a normal year, we've seen the game go, you know, different places, you know, Indians, Twins, and San Juan, Puerto Rico a couple years back, which yep. is absolutely awesome. Lindor's home run, one of my all-time favorite Indians highlights. Oh, it has to be. Like, that. Like I can still, like, I love. My mom in the stands yes. right before it happens. I love. Awesome also, she was, she was wild. She was rocking the uh, Francisco Lindor emoji T-shirt. That uh, oh yeah, that was all Back exclusively that was exclusively sold in the Indians team shop. So you know that uh, <laughs> special delivery was made. But oh yeah, I think I I mean like that home run, like that that weird rush that is like so weird. It was beautiful. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like that's like that is absolutely crazy. But I think that, you know, we see the game going out to London. That was also just a crazy, crazy series a year back with uh, Yankees, Red Sox. So um, I, I think that having these guys come in, also Luis Robert, uh, he, he's going to take the baseball world by storm. So you look at that. I mean, so many guys you mentioned, Wander Franco is going to be so much fun to watch. So I agree with you 100%, Nate. Like, we're going to still see a lot of great U.S. guys, some really good prospects coming up. But, I mean, allowing this opportunity, guys come in Latin America, South America even, a lot of Venezuelan guys we're starting to see really emerge. And then even look at Europe. Like, what Max Kepler is almost single-handedly doing for growing the game in Germany is big. So I I think that, you know, just having more guys – coming in from out of the country doing wonders for major league baseball. Yes. Um, On that topic, maybe going away from the future, let's take a look back at the past. Going to be a reoccurring segment here on the home run pitch podcast is the flashback draft. We're going to go through three different uh, players or positions picked each episode. Here are the rules. We will pick all nine positions, including a DH. You'll have three starting pitchers, one reliever, and one closer. How we're going to be picking these players. You're going to be looking at one single season. You can pick any season by this player as long as it's after 2010. Anything 2010 and on is in play. With that being said, if the player is known for injuries and was fully healthy that season, injury issues are gone. Um, 
First name that comes to mind, Judge from 2017. Someone picks Judge from 2017, you are only getting his 2017 level production and health for forever, forever, hundreds of thousands of years. Yes. So today we're going to be going, we're going to be making our picks for catcher, first base, and second base. Trades are allowed. They have to be one for one. Tyler, I'm going to let you go first. Who is your catcher in the flashback draft? Give me the gear and a couple main stats you see pointing out from that season. Wow, that was very, very nice of you. I, I think you did this very strategically because you threw me on the spot. And I, I also I, think you could use a little bit of help, honestly. I don't think you're going to wow, that, do that was too well. I think you could use help getting the first pick at any catcher you want. That was a little excessive. You know what? Because we're looking at <laughs> – because we're looking at well-rounded, looking at well-rounded baseball is, I think, you know, offensively huge already. I think that, you know, if I had the option right now, I think I'd be stupid not to take 2012 Buster Posey. Oh, I shouldn't I mean, be giving you that. Absolutely ridiculous. And I'm and I'm going to I'm going to compare him. I'm I'm gonna we're gonna call this the silhouette comparison. Because I'm not going to necessarily say this guy's name, but I was in between him and another guy. And I think what separated themselves was just the fact that Posey, first off, won the MVP, obviously. Batting average was higher. Slugging percentage was higher. The defensive war was by far so much higher, which is crazy to think. When you look at the two, you'd give it to the other guy, like overall. Also, Posey, the guy was dominant. 408 OBP, like, I mean, ridiculous. He hit 24 homers. He drove in 103 base runners. So, I mean, these ranks are like Mike Piazza-like. These are like like Joe Maurer in 09, which I know caused you some fits looking at the prep because I thought – and I honestly thought that – Joe Maurer in 2010, that was his year, but I guess it was 09. But the defensive war value, uh, according to Fangraphs, 36.5 in 2012. That's the highest in single season history by a landslide. Yeah, he was good. Um, That was definitely going to be my pick there. Um, My number two guy, Gadier Molina from 2013. He finished third in MVP. He was an all-star, obviously, and came home with a couple pieces of hardware. You got the gold glove and the silver slugger. Um, great all-around season from him in 2013. Batted over 300. Uh, power was not quite there on the home run side. Decent slugging, pretty good, 477. Um, regardless of those 12 home runs, he was still able to keep that slug up, which is a big deal. He was great defensively, as always. That's going to be my pick for catcher. That was that was huge. I, I think going with Yachty, like, y- there's no wrongdoing. Like, you take him 2012, you take him 2013. I think 2013 was the better year. So, I think you oh, – by like pro- probably by a pretty close margin. So, I think you picked the right decision. Plus, that was by far the highest batting average he's ever had. And 2012 yep. was pretty close. But, I mean, Yachty – we, we know he's a low-power, high-average guy, especially, you know, taken back a couple years ago. Like, the spurt he had probably, like, 05 through 
2014 was just absurd for catchers like consistency marks but i think 13 yachty is that is the perfect way to go all right since i gave you the first pick for catchers i think it's it's only fair if we go snake style and give me i love it for first base my pick from 2015 we touched on his team earlier he was second in the mvp race only behind bryce harper he was an all-star he had the gold glove and silver slugger, 33 home runs, 120, 110 RBIs, 321 batting average. Paul Goldschmidt from 2015. Oh, good pull. Wow. That was a great pull, Nate. I, I think, like, Goldie, he is just so consistent. Plus, also, how many bases did he steal that year? I felt like he like 2015. Snagged. You are looking at 21 stolen bases, wow. second most in his career, behind only 2016, where he stole a whopping 32 bases <laughs> for a first base. And you sure don't see that too often, do you, Tyler? No, no, uh, unless it's gonna, unless, yeah, unless it's gonna be Josh Naylor this year for the Cleveland Indians because he's an absolute speed freak. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> um, I, I like you forget how consistent Goldschmidt is, and like, oh that, my god, oh, those easily. numbers, those numbers are so well rounded too. Like everything's just got to be. I, I can't imagine what what was his OPS there too. It's got to be pretty remarkable. OPS from 2015, 1.005. It was the highest in his career. Wow. That, that is impressive. That is impressive. And you're talking about the consistency. You look at his batting average. Not looking at his rookie season um, in 2011, um, his lowest batting average of career was 260 in 2019. Even removing that, you look at 2013, 302. 2014, followed up with a 300. 2015, obviously, he had 321. 16 and 17, 297. 290 and 18, 304 in 2020. He's a first baseman who's not – he's – yeah, he's going to get you your 30 home runs. He's going to get you your 100-plus RBIs or around there every season. But he is super consistent, and you can count on him to just get the hit when you need a hit. He is – you know, there's that old saying, you need a bloop and a blast. He can get both. He can do whichever you need. So my pick at first, I, I'm glad you didn't take one of them because I probably wouldn't have been in a little bit of a pickle. But um, I, I think that when I compared this guy with 2010 Albert Pujols, because these guys had an epic race that year. A lot of great first basemen came at like the start of the start of the decade. I, I think that Goldschmidt, you know, Edwin, who's kind of been more of the DH now. They've had a lot of great Rizzo as well. Around. Yeah. I mean, you can't talk about 2010 first baseman unless, you know, unless you're talking about Anthony Rizzo, guy who has just been dominant. I am going, though, with 2010 MVP. Him and Pujols went neck and neck. It is, oh, yes, it is Joey Votto. That's a big pick. So um. I. So obviously he did not steal 21 bases like Paul Goldschmidt, but you know what? You know what's crazy is what's that crazy is that he stole 16 that year. Joey Votto, 16 stolen bases—that's insane. I like 
he he had the highest or he had the lowest um, or he had the best I should say best cut stealing rate in the National League, which is ridiculous. I think he was like sixteen of eighteen. But that's wild. He, he led the league in on base percentage, slugging percentage, and his OPS was well over one. First time he did that. Also, look at like I mean the guy would just drew walks on walks. Almost hit 40 homers, had well over 100-plus you know, RBIs. The guy was really strong. But one of the only years, he kind of struggled defensively. And that's kind of what was like the thing that wore me down. You know, who do I go with there? And it was – and it's like, uh, well, if I'm deciding between him and Albert Pujols, I, I got to go Votto because Albert Pujols' defensive war was in the negatives that year. This is true, but so was Joey Votto's. That is true. So I, <laughs> I, <laughs> so <laughs> dug yourself a grave there, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I, I might have to fall Didn't right into that time one. Looking at the baseball references, it seems. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm suing. I'm. Suing. Oh, you're gonna sue? Go for it. All yeah. right. I have the first pick for first baseman. Our last picks of the episode. Who is your second baseman? This this was tough. This was tough. There's a but, lot of big names. I was I was torn between two, and I hope if you take one, I'm fine because I've got my backup who's just as good. I feel like and see who you pick. Who I I feel I feel comfortable. Okay. I feel very comfortable. Maybe not. I'm like I'm like wa- I'm like walking out of the locker room in a swimsuit or something. That's how insecure I am right now. <laughs> I'm. Oh god, this was the. I I thought I'm you were just gonna take one. All right. I, enough with the stalling. I'm just gonna come out with it right now and say screw it. 2012. He won the Gold Glove. He won the Silver Slugger. He was an All Star. One of the highest batting wars among second baseman of the decade finished top five in the MVP. What do you know? 2012 Robbie Cano. Knew you were going to go there. Yeah. I I, saw that coming. I had to go Cano because you look, what's crazy is that like the only thing that kind of weighs him down here is that he did not have a hundred ribbies. But everything else looks fine. It's crazy because you look at like a year before, he had 118. His war, and again, this is just, you know, the big difference between just those straightforward stats and sabermetrics. You look at his war, and I'm a big war guy, but his offensive war in 2012 was 1.3 points higher in 12 than 11, which is crazy. That's wild. Yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. Um, with that, I'm going to go with my pick here. From the Washington Nationals. 347 batting Ooh. average. Second in MVP, only behind the Chris Bryant Daniel Murphy. This I I love I love it. Carry on. Carry on. I think this season is one of the most forgotten about 
elite seasons offensively by anyone. Uh, you look at the 347 batting average, 25 home runs to go with it. Um, you know, not great defensively. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Negative one war. Um, it, it wasn't great. But the 347 batting average, the 595 slugging, I think more than makes up for it. He was Mr. Consistent, lost the batting race to DJ LeMayhew by a single point. LeMayhew came in at 348, and there was a lot of controversy surrounding that. Um, say what you want, but Daniel Murphy is my guy, and that is going to round out the home run pitch podcast flashback draft from episode one next week. We're going to be coming at you with third base shortstop and left field. So just to go through um, quick refresher for the picks, Tyler, uh, your catcher is going to be Buster Posey. You got Joey Votto at first and Robbie Cano at second. I went with Yadier Molina catching. Paul Goldschmidt batting, uh, not batting, you got him at first base, and Daniel Murphy as my second baseman. I got to say, Tyler, I think I, I, th- I think my team is a little better than yours. I think, I think the Murphy pick is huge. I think the Murphy pick is huge. I think Votto is going to step up on Goldie. I, I think that if Votto had stolen a lot less bases, though, I think that would have been because Goldie. You look at his stats, and we're talking about just how well, and we can't base it off of stolen bases. Like that'd be just so Especially naive for a of first us. Baseman. Exactly. Like <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, but I I think that if you look just look at Votto, what he was able to do. But I mean, Goldie. I mean, he just went stride for stride. You look at him like I wish we could just get like individual stratomatic. My final thoughts, though, it's crazy to think, because I remember the Daniel Murphy season, but this guy had all the pressure in the world because the 2015 postseason he had with the Mets was just utterly freaking ridiculous. He had, what, what he had seven homers in, uh, and we don't talk about the World Series, but like the yes. first two series, he, he had, had what? 333 seven- in the first round with three home runs, five RBIs, and a stolen base. And then in the NLCS against Chicago, 529, four home runs, six RBIs, and a walk. My cousins that live uh, in the Chicago suburbs, they still don't speak about Daniel Murphy. <laughs> and, like, he, like, I think he is just utterly hated. in like, Steve Bartman hate. And, and, and I think, it, you know, it kind of makes things better that the, the Cubbies kind of won the next year. But then, like, he gets that max contract in the nation's capital. And granted, I'm looking at, the, looking at his age right there. He's 31 on opening day of that season. And then he goes out, does what he does. Like the 347 is ridiculous. And to think that he came into this season, all the pressure in the world, like everything seemed like it was just building up against him. And to think that it wasn't the case, just crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, Cano, though, great pick. Um, curious to see how your third base shortstop in left field comes out because I know I've got a couple – couple guys at my sleeve I'm ready to pull out for those picks. Um, 
So that'll, that'll be fun to see next week. Next week, we're going to be coming at you with the final round of the reporter's bracket. Hopefully, hopefully, we have a couple more signings to talk about. Will Bauer sign by next week? What do you think? I mean, the way – so so kind of a couple things that I've been hearing just uh, around the way is that teams have just been firing away. I think that we saw, you know, social media, his agent – Great Rachel Luba, not Rachel Luba, but just Rachel Luba. She makes that very clear. The the fact that um, I, I guess he's had a lot of just offers flying in under the table. So I, I think that it's going to, it's bound to happen. He's due to make a signing. I don't know where it would be. I, I mean, there are a lot of places, just, just the way that I think that he approaches it from like a PR standpoint. Oh yeah. It's, it's incredible. It is genius because he just makes it so broad. He like pretty much hints at the idea of being with like almost every team in the Oh yeah. So it takes out, so it like creates that suspense, Nate, but obviously, you know, it doesn't like narrow it down to a couple teams that make this surprise decision to just absolutely become hated within another fan base. Okay. I'm going to add one more segment here before we finish. Which team for this week do you think will be the biggest player in the free agent market? Just this week between the end of this episode now and the start of next week's episode. Which team out of the 30 is your biggest player in free agency? I've got a weird feeling. I've had gut feelings about teams in the past, but I've got a bizarre feeling that the Miami Marlins are going to make a splash this week or or maybe okay. the next but i think that they've got a lot of a lot of star power you know rising up the young ranks that they can get for an established star another team though i want to point out if we're going with this underdog mentality and i don't know who they would give up and they're on limited money right now but they've got a couple guys in their major league club that show some value I think that the Orioles could be another team that racks mm. up a big time vet. All right. Okay. I know this is going to be basic and people aren't going to like me for this. I got the Dodgers this week. I just think it's all coming together for them to make maybe not a huge splash. I know you saw there was stuff with Bauer today. Dodgers are, are interested. I don't think that's going to be what it is. I think they're going to go out, sign a good veteran, maybe or two. Um, maybe make another deal for the bullpen. Fix that up a little bit. Uh, we don't know what you're going to get out of Kenley Jansen this year. You're hoping Blake Trinan keeps up his good season. But I think you're going to see a couple nice veteran signings by the Dodgers. You're not your superstar signings. Let's be honest, they don't need any more superstars. But I think you're going to see a couple great signings by them this week. You want to know my projection for who's going to be the big, the big uh, acquisition? I think next week. Who's your I, big acquisition this week? And I think that it's going to be the Dodgers that probably are going to attract the most interest. And I know he wants to stay in the small market of Kansas City, but my guy Whit Merrifield, I think, is going to be the featured guy to go somewhere. So you think Whit Merrifield's going to LA? I, I, I'm not going to say that he's going to LA, 
but I think that he's going to be shopped. I could see that. I think he's been on the block for a while now. It's only a matter of time before that deal is made. And if you're the Royals, you've got to sell high. Um, you can't let his value drop any lower. Personally, I would probably shop Jorge Soler before I drop Merrifield because I think Merrif- Merrifield's just way more consistent. And who I agree. Knows, and who knows how many, you know, 40, 50 homer seasons that Soler has in him. I think that he's got it, you know, he's still got a bright future. I've been on, I've been on the, uh, the Soler, I've been on the Soler panel since probably, you know, his rookie season with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. But I think that he can attract a lot more interest. But I just got to, you know, I think that Merrifield's going to get a lot of interest. And I think that he could really make a big impact with the Dodgers, kind of being like um, a, a more more consistent, more stationary Kike Hernandez. So where do you think he fits left field? Where else do you think he would slide in in that lineup? I mean, I think that... Third baseman, be... and maybe you don't bring back Pop-Tart? Do you <laughs> dare to say they're going to not bring back Justin Turner? I, I mean, you, after you got, everything he's done for that, you franchise. got, you got, you got to keep Turner. You got I to think keep that's Turner. No brainer. You got to find a way to keep him back in LA. And and Turner is just such a great dude. And he's, he, he's a clubhouse guy, but he's, you know, he's also a remarkable player. So it's not like he's just being kept for his good attitude and, you know, his leadership, you know, he can still contribute and perform well. I think that Witt might have a place he might have a place out left consistently. That's and I what I'm think, thinking. and and I think that, and I know you mentioned that before. I think that he could also make some noise a little bit at second. He could play some second base. Okay. I, I think I think that right now, maybe utilize the impact of uh, of a Kike Hernandez and try and you know get him out of there. I know he's nearing a decision to maybe signing, but maybe you just let him walk or do like a little sign in trade. And, and I, and I don't think, I don't think he's going to LA. So I think that opens up the opportunity for wit to really be that guy focused on. And even if you put, you know, wit out in center and say to hell with, you know, Chris Taylor, or if you yeah. got Jock out in center or Bellinger and whatnot, you know, I, I think Witt, he, you can get him for a relatively lower value. So I think that you put him around and get him in, around that winning culture. I think you're going to see a lot of great results. Oh, I agree fully. Um, with that, that is going to bring this episode one to a close. Tyler. It was a pleasure. Nate, this was I, – I think this was an electric episode, if we're being honest. Yep. I, I mean, we, we – Wait have, for this episode. Oh, great. Opening I out mean, on a bang. That's how you go out. I mean, that, that's how you do it. A little flashback traps, a couple of comparisons. Yep. Talk about growing the game, growing the podcast. I mean, we were talking about this before. This is the podcast for the common baseball fan – by the common baseball fan, but you know, we take a little bit more of a deeper look though. So yes. we kind of simplify it. Covered all the it. bases. Oh, for no sure. pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That that's that's the perfect way to close, Nate. Can't think of a better better statement to put out than that. We 
This has been the Home Run Pitch Podcast. Shoes guaranteed to give you play a straight to blues. That chain you wearing is dental floss to me. I sacrifice bunch like bunch.